Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Welcome to a new episode of FEPS Talks, the podcast of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. My name is Aileen Boni and I am Policy Analyst on International Relations at FEPS. In this episode, we are very privileged to discuss relations between Russia and China in the context of the war in Ukraine. And for that, I'm delighted to welcome Arne Westad, who is a professor of history at Yale University and the director of its international security studies. He is a renowned expert on modern international and global history and is specialized in the history of Eastern Asia since the 18th century. Professor Westad has authored and edited several books on Sino-Soviet and Cold War history topics, and he's also a fellow of the British Academy, as well as of several other national academies. Welcome to the podcast, Professor Westad. Thank you for having me on, Arina. So before we jump into the context of the war itself, I would like to go a bit back in time to understand the broader picture of Sino-Russia relations over the last years. So even though China and Russia seem to maintain a closer cooperation in the present, for instance, in 2019, there was an upgrade of the partnership on the highest level uh, within China's hierarchy of diplomatic ties. Uh, but this close cooperation has not always been the case through history. So how has uh, Sino-Russian relations developed since the end of the Cold War? It's a bit ironic, this, because uh, China and the then Soviet Union, or Russia, uh, spent a lot of the final part of the Cold War fighting each other. They saw each other as the main enemies in terms of international affairs, and especially China, um, as many people who listen to this podcast might even remember, was very, very harsh in its criticism of the Soviet Union, particularly what it saw as the expansionist tendencies of the Soviet Union. So I think two things happened that brought these two together. The first was the way the Cold War ended, with a complete collapse of the Soviet system. So what that produced was at least for a while, a unipolar world with the United States as the hegemonic power, which both Russia as the Soviet successor state and China saw, at least after a while, as a threat to their own interests. So that's the first thing that happened. The second thing is that both of them have moved, though not necessarily in the same way and by the same means, to more authoritarian and repressive forms of government. Now, this doesn't by itself bring them together. Um, there can be oppressive governments of different political colorings that would oppose each other. But what is the situation now, I think, is that both of the leaders or the leadership groups in these two countries feel that the United States is after them, want, want to undertake some kind of domestic changes in, inside China and inside Russia. And I think that has also forced the two more closely together. Very well. So now jumping into the issue of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine precisely, how do you assess the implications of this war on Sino-Russian relations? So let me begin by saying that this war has not been easy from a Chinese perspective. There's a lot of press commentary in the West, maybe especially in Europe uh, now, that uh, China in a way 
is positioned to get a lot of advantages out of this war. I don't think so. I mean, there are some advantages for China. We may return to that later on. But first and foremost, this is a problem because China uh, was dependent on some degree of stability in terms of international relations in order to further its own development plans. And especially with regard to the international economy, where China is dependent on not just stability, but some degree of, of economic progress. And the war has created a lot of difficulties for that agenda. So I do think that even though, as we've seen, China is in no uh, position, no mood to give up on its pseudo-alliance with Russia, it would also be wrong to think that from a Chinese perspective, this is if not <laughs> unproblematic, that it is something that China actually would have wished for. I think it's pretty clear that that is not the case. So uh, as you explained, it's pretty clear that this uh, war is also bringing some difficulties, challenges to China itself. So my question now would be, what could China possibly win or lose uh, with a weakened or an isolated Russia, for instance? So I think there are some advantages uh, from a Chinese perspective in tying Russia ever more closely to China. First and foremost, in terms of the access to Russian raw materials and particularly energy resources. But I think the price that China would have to pay for this is seen as being too high for it to be an ideal scenario. I think if we end up in that kind of situation with a long-term isolated Russia, it is one that China will try to bend and is now trying to bend to its advantage. But in the bigger picture of things, uh, Russia is so weak, particularly in economic terms, that it is a problem for the Chinese to have a Russia that is too dependent just on China. I don't think that's a situation that China ideally would have wished for. It would have liked to have strengthened its position even further in Russia, tension with the West. But an ongoing war, uh, a hot war, is a very different story. And there is a lot of uncertainty connected with that, as all our listeners will know, because of the resistance by Ukraine against the, the Russian attack. And the idea that this war, if it goes on for a very long time, will be in China's interest, that I, I do not believe. I think there is much too much caution in Beijing to think that the price of having Russia ever more closely tied to China, that is worth paying through the kind of developments that are happening on the ground in, in Ukraine now. So in line of what you're explaining to us, uh, China also maintained a, a neutral position in this war and has not uh, explicitly condemned uh, Russia for the aggression. And this positioning of China has further deteriorated its relations with the European Union. What do you see as possible options ahead for the EU in its relations both with Russia and with China? So let me first say to that, that I, I, I don't think it's correct to say that China is neutral in this conflict. I mean, China might be neutral in principle, but it's neutral on the Russian side. And the, the, the ties between China and Russia are very, very close on a number of issues. The Chinese authorities are careful not going as far as being seen as a direct ally of Russia in its attack on Ukraine. But that's not the same thing as, as saying that they're neutral. If you look at, as I do, the front page of the People's Daily, the Renminer Bao, every, every morning, you, you will see how strong that Chinese support, rhetorical support for Russia and Russia's positions uh, actually is. So on the European side, I think this has been a, a wake-up call in many ways for Europe with regard to 
China and obviously with regard to Russia, uh, but also the, the kind of links that exist between the two. So I think this is one of China's biggest strategic problems with regard to this war, that China wanted to have a stable and, if possible, good relationship to Europe and to the countries of the European Union. And that has become much more difficult now because of the Russian war of aggression against Ukraine. And I have been surprised that the Chinese have not been more nimble, that they have not been more flexible on this kind of issue, because much of the Russian rhetoric with regard to Ukraine, which China has to some extent taken over, is of course seen in Europe, and particularly in the Eastern member states of the European Union, as directly being in conflict with their own interests and their own perceptions of what's happening in Ukraine. So at the moment, I think it's pretty clear that for the European Union, you know, strengthening, of course, and deepening its own cooperation is essential significance, but also to try to look at the long-term relationship between European Union and its member countries and China, not to be too dependent on Chinese import, Chinese markets, try to be more uh, differentiating, and of course, in security terms, try to build on the institutions that are already there, including a very strong cooperation with North America in, in, in terms of looking at European long-term security. So there are many things here, I think, that have to happen at the same time, and reevaluating at least parts of the relationship with China will have to be one of them. And since you mentioned that this war has been a wake-up call to the EU, both in terms of its internal unity and also its dependence uh, with uh, regards to China. My question now is regarding the Global South and how the some countries, relevant countries in the Global South, have also reacted to this war. So both the EU and the US uh, have taken as a surprise the fact that relevant countries in Africa, Latin America and Asia, for instance, South Africa, Brazil and India, have not taken the side of the West, the so-called West in this war, or at least have been ambiguous towards Russia. So how have both China and Russia interpreted and responded to this non-allied reaction of the global South? I think it's important to differentiate between different countries when it comes to this reaction. But overall, your, your question, what your question implies is correct, that we have for some time seen a much more multipolar international order where it's not given that strong countries, regional uh, great powers in the global south will necessarily align in one direction or the other with regard to international conflict, and particularly international conflict that's taking place in Europe. So in a way, this is not surprising, though there are degrees. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised by the Indian reaction to this. I thought that India's cooperation, both with the United States and with Europe, had now developed to a point where India would at least be able to condemn in principle the kind of open aggression that Russia has launched against Ukraine. A Ukraine, by the way, that India also had very, very good relations with before, uh, before the Russian attack. And I can't, as I've said to many Indian news outlets, I, I cannot imagine how India uh, stands to gain in any way from the so-called neutrality that it's put forward. Of course, it isn't really a neutrality, I think, in terms of sympathies, elite sympathies and, and more general public sympathies in India. I think they are clearly on the side of Ukraine and on the side of Europe. But I think the positioning that the government has taken up with regard to this in terms of differentiating on the issues of security between you know, India's own national interest connecting up to Russia 
and the more general principles. I think the Indians simply haven't got the balance of that right. So, of course, other countries that are further away uh, have also taken their own positions with regard to that. Overall, we shouldn't be surprised. It is an element of a more multipolar world. But I, I do think that it's important, particularly from a European perspective, to keep up as much as a dialogue as possible with countries that are more uncertain in terms of their approach and try to explain the European point of view and why so many Europeans see this as the first example of an interstate territorial war of conquest since the Second World War. Now, going back to relations between China and Russia, we saw that at the Beijing uh, Winter Olympics, uh, Xi and Putin declared this friendship without limits. So what does it actually mean for Uh, relationship between China and Russia, and what does it mean to the West? So it's hard to say yet. I mean, I think this happened just before the war started. I think uh, from Xi's perspective, uh, the idea was that this would be uh, another closer relationship, which would presumably, given what I think China knew at that point, be based on some kind of Russian victory in, in its relationship with Ukraine, probably through a successful brief border war. Uh, which it seems to me is what the Chinese had been thinking about and what they had been presented with by the Russians at that point. Of course, that didn't happen. <laughs> so it op opens up a lot of questions about where the Russian-Chinese uh, relationship go from here. So as I already said, I think that this is a relationship that is going to last, at least in the short and medium term. I think it will be problematic. It will be problematic from both sides. I think it will not be easy for the Russian leadership to be completely dependent on China the way Russia now has made itself completely dependent on China, uh, economically, politically, strategically, in a way no one would have foreseen only a few months ago. And likewise, as I already said, from the Chinese perspective, this is not going to be an easy relationship to work with. That's probably not enough to undo it in the shorter run, but there are lots of contradictions and potential conflicts here as we go forward. And maybe a final question uh, for us to wrap up. In your assessment, what would a progressive EU position towards Russia and China look like? That's a really good question. So I think with regard to Russia, the most important thing for progressive politics in Europe at the moment is to solidarize itself with Ukraine, with Ukraine's survival as a uh, territorially integrated sovereign state. There are so many echoes from European history with regard to this, and it's really important that European progressives get this one right. That, of course, one needs to talk about the long-term relationship with all countries in Europe, including Russia, in my view, but that's not the main point of the agenda now. At the moment, this is about Ukraine's survival, and if Ukraine doesn't survive, as a territorially integrated sovereign state, then I think the kind of trouble that all of Europe will be in from now on will, will increase quite dramatically. So I think that's the number one agenda with regard to Russia and with regard to Ukraine. On the Chinese side, I do think that progressives in Europe should make use of this opportunity, of the rethink of the relations with China that are now underway, to think about what it is that has made Europe so dependent on its trade with China, that has made China so successful in terms of its trade with Europe. Uh, and that has to do, for instance, with Chinese labor practices. China has gotten to the point where it is now through a rampant exploitation of its own working class, which I'm sure in the longer run, if not abated, will lead to problems inside of China itself. But it's something European progressives 
should be aware of. They should also be aware of the need to have equitable trade relations. And by equitable, I mean relations that actually work reasonably well for working people in both directions. And I do think this is a point uh, during the period of globalization that progressives haven't taken seriously enough and that we need to think more about that. What does that actually imply for the kind of trade arrangements that are being put in place? And the EU, of course, being China's largest trading partner by far, is in a position to actually have an impact on these kinds of issues, both through negotiations and through the kind of perceptions and developments that we will see, I'm sure, in the wake of, of the current conflict. Thank you very much, Professor Westad. It's very interesting to hear from you about the important role that progressives also have to play in light of this war and in uh, reflecting future relations with China and Russia in this changing global order and challenging, uh, increasing challenges in the world. Thank you very much. Is there anything else you would like to add? Nothing at this point, Alina. I think this was a really good interview. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>